You're listening to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast, created by the Arthritis Foundation to help people with arthritis and the people who love them live their best lives. If you're dealing with chronic pain, this podcast is for you. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, learn how you can take control of arthritis with tips and ideas from our hosts and guest experts. Hi, and welcome to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. I'm your guest host, Pete Scalia. Today's topic is men in arthritis tackling the mental and physical challenges. You know, being a guy with arthritis comes with mental, emotional, and social challenges, as well as physical ones. Uh, Having the sore, stiff joints can get in the way of fulfilling many of the roles that we often associate with men, whether it's providing for our families, cutting the grass, or just hanging with the guys. It can undermine our self-identity too, and maybe make a guy feel like he's been stripped of his quote-unquote man card. But the fact is, men react to pain and other symptoms differently than women typically do. I was diagnosed with arthritis when I was about 30 years old. I work as a television host, former news anchor, and a musician. And living with arthritis, I just felt compelled to share my story publicly, both in broadcast and on social media and got involved with the Arthritis Foundation at the local and national levels. And traveling around and hearing people, realizing we had a lot of things in common, I noticed there was sort of this underlying theme of never giving up. And that inspired me to start PS Never Give Up, which is a podcast and a social media outlet for folks to share inspiring stories of fortitude, perseverance, and inspiration. And I wanted to share my story to encourage other people to never give up. And as I mentioned, uh, my interactions through the Arthritis Foundation being such a strong community, I've met a lot of people like today's guest, Gary Ho. Gary has lived with the pain and disability of gout for 16 years before he finally got a correct diagnosis and a treatment starting at age 40. Since then, he's been an active advocate for people living with gout. He's committed to raising awareness of the disease, especially in younger men. Now, he and his rheumatologist have co-founded the Gout Support Group of America that works to improve the lives of people living with gout through education, empowerment, and community. So, Gary, thanks for being with us today. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. So, I guess the first question I have, I know for a lot of people living with one of the more than 100 different forms of arthritis, getting that initial diagnosis can really be tricky, Gary. What was that process like for you? Yeah, so the process of being diagnosed was really a long and um, hellish journey for me. My story started in 1994. So gout is a form of inflammatory arthritis. When you think of gout, you think of the term maybe rich man's disease. You know, Benjamin Franklin had the disease. It was usually back in the day, only uh, wealthy people were getting the disease. They were the ones that were able to drink the wine, eat the steaks, right, and live above and beyond excessively to get the disease. Nowadays, you know, we get it through genetics. We get it through just life here. So at the age of 24 in 1993 or 94, I was walking across campus. I was in college, and, um, and I felt a strange feeling in my ankle. 
and it felt like I sprained my ankle. I didn't think much about it. And then I went home that night and my ankle started to swell up. And it got to the point where I thought I had broken my ankle. It was just a sharp pain and it was relentless. So I called my dad up and I remember telling him, Dad's so strange. I'm walking across campus and I'm experiencing this horrendous pain. And he says, Gary, you might have gout. I have gout. It kind of runs in the family. And that was the first time I heard the term gout. And he says, Gary, you should go to a doctor and tell them that gout runs in the family and see what they say. And that was my journey in trying to get diagnosed. And um, that first meeting was not fun. When you initially went to the doctor, how did you describe your symptoms? And I mean, was there something that that led you to believe that it was more than maybe just like a sprain or something? There was like a lot of swelling or what did you notice? Well, yes, there was swelling. It was a sharp, jabby pain. I can only describe it like um, when a gout attack comes on, it feels like there's a thousand tiny little men inside your joint with a pitchfork trying to jab their way out. And when I say it's relentless, that's what I mean. You know, when you go to a back doctor and they they ask, hey, describe the pain. You know, Mm -hmm. is it dull or is it sharp? Well, I can tell you, this is sharp and it's acute and it is, it's just, you know, it's like someone sticking a needle right into that joint and they're just twisting. And that's how I felt. And that's not normal, right? And and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I did. And there was nothing that I did that could explain the pain. So it was a bit of a mystery. I know that uh, getting that diagnosis can be difficult. You go from experiencing the pain, you meet with your doctor and you're explaining it. I know, ironically, when I first started feeling symptoms when I was 30, it was in my feet. I had like a few things here and there, but it was one morning I woke up and when I went to stand up and get out of bed, it was actually the balls of my feet hurt so bad I fell back onto the bed. And initially, when I went to my primary care physician at the time, she thought it might have been gout. So it was, you know, kind of going through okay, well, you know, let's test for this, let's test rheumatic factor, that sort of thing. How long did it take from you describing these symptoms to actually get that diagnosis? Because I know that can be the toughest part sometimes. It was. It was not fun. It took me 16 years to get this diagnosed. So if you can, insane, right? Just thinking back, I'm flabbergasted. At 24, I experienced the pain. I went to the doctor, gave him all the signs you would think, you know, it's genetics. It runs in the family. You can see signs of it on my ankle. It's swollen. It's kind of red. It's hot, right? And um, I remember him looking at me and saying, Gary, you are way too young to have gout. Gout is an old person's disease. You don't have gout. And I still remember the feeling I had. I actually was overjoyed. I was like, yes, dad, you're wrong. I don't have gout, right? Right. I must have done something. But, you know, when people that live with gout, when the pain comes on, it doesn't matter what you do. With time, the pain actually will subside and it'll go away. And so with time, the pain went away. And so out of sight, out of mind, when the pain went away, I just kind of went on with life. But so during the 16 years with gout, it's a progressive disease. So when you don't treat it, it actually will come back. And each time it comes back and the flare comes on, it's even worse than uh, the previous attack. 
And so over the years, it became progressively worse. And each time I would experience an attack, I would go see a doctor. I would go see the ER. I would just, you know, insist, I think I have gout. But I was told over and over again that I did not have gout. And it wasn't until 2010, Pete, that, you know, I went from 24 to now I'm 40 years old. And, you know, I'm using crutches and I'm using a wheelchair. And I remember being at rock bottom, emotionally, physically. I was thinking, I can't go on. I need to do something. I need to figure out what this is. And I went and looked up gout and I found out that a rheumatologist is really the expert that deals with gout. I made myself an appointment. At that time, I finally had PPO, you know, a type of insurance that would allow me to bypass the gatekeepers that would Mm -hmm. keep me me away from my diagnosis. And when I sat down in his office, Pete, the first 10 minutes, my rheumatologist just said, hey, Gary, tell me about your journey. I spent 10 minutes telling him my journey. He says, Gary, I think you have gout. And it's real easy to diagnose. That was the beginning. I kind of go back to to when I was diagnosed with RA about 20 years ago. And it seems like that mindset, maybe it's kind of shifted a little bit. I don't know if there's maybe been more on the education side, because I know that even for myself, I remember a doctor telling me, wow, aren't you awfully young and male to have rheumatoid arthritis? They, They couldn't really believe that that's what it was. And, and same thing in, in your situation, it seems like maybe now there's more of an awareness and that accessibility to rheumatologists who can properly give us that diagnosis. I think so. And that's part of why uh, the Gout Support Group America exists, right? You know, after living pain-free now for five years, it's 2015, I've been diagnosed with chronic gout. And all it took, Pete, was a simple blood test. It was a $20 test that I couldn't get. And when I got it, I found out that my uric acid level, which is very important for people living with gout, it was north of 10. So anything over 6.8, it's known as a saturation point. That's the point where the body is so saturated with uric acid that it starts creating crystals, which look like little tiny needles around the joints. And that's the the jabbing feeling that you feel. Mm -hmm. And so... um, Going and being diagnosed, you know, they, they saw that my uric acid was north of 10, and he immediately came up with a game plan for me. And, you know, I, I went through a clinical trial for a medication. I learned about proactively managing gout versus reactively managing gout. I basically took my health into my hands, and I became an advocate for myself. No longer was willing to trust what the doctors would say. I mean, I did my my research, I consulted with experts, and then I just, you know, wasn't shy about asking for a second opinion. And when you talk about um, education, that's truly, truly right. I, I find that maybe about 80% of the general practitioners out there don't know enough about gout, so they don't have the confidence to prescribe the medication that is necessary to manage this disease. They actually will push it back on uh, what I call reactive management. So they'll treat the pain, right? The symptoms of the disease instead of the, the cause. And they typically will send you away with a pamphlet that says what to eat and what not to eat, which 
you know, I don't know if they realize this, but then now they put the, the fault on to the person. Hey, it's your fault that you have gout, when in reality, right. it's not. Help keep the tradition going strong at the Arthritis Foundation's Jingle Bell Run, the most festive holiday run for a reason. Spread good cheer and raise funds for a great cause. Be there with bells on to run or take a stroll or just cheer on others from the sideline. It's not too early to register now for Jingle Bell Run at arthritis.org slash JBR. So Gary, let's go back a little bit here. So you were talking about when you were first experiencing these symptoms when you were 24, then by the time you're 40, you get that diagnosis, which is good, right? You know you know what you're dealing with. You know that you have options and how you can treat it. During that time though, since gout, like rheumatoid arthritis, like a lot of these different forms of arthritis can be an invisible disease. How did this affect you when it came to like, I'm assuming, you know, were you dating at the time? Like how, how did it sort of affect you Personally, I mean, aside from the physical pain, you know, emotionally, it takes a toll on you, too. That is such a uh, great question, Pete. You know, when people think about gout, we think about the physical pain because it's very painful. But beyond the physical, beyond the joint, there's an emotional side. It affects a person mentally, right? There's mental issues that come along with it. For young people that are affected with gout, I would dare say that it affects them. The stigma of gout, which is real, the stigma of gout affects younger people more so than any other groups of people in America. When you're young, you're active. I'm 24. I mean, you know, I am like ending college. I'm starting my life. I'm dating, I'm going to, you know, I want to hang out with friends, I want to go have a beer, I want to go to concerts, you know, do all the things. But yet, uh, here I am, you know, I think I have gout. Um, I can't get diagnosed, but thank God, because even if I had a diagnosis, I don't know how I would have even felt. Like, do I accept mm -hmm. the fact that I have an, you know, quote, old man's disease, like an old person's disease? Do I want to be categorized in that group, you know, so there's a lot that goes on mentally for people with gout, especially young people living with gout. And I know, uh, you know, with my experience too, Gary, when I first met my now wife, you know, I had been diagnosed about a year or two before I met her. And it was very interesting because of the cocktail of medications I was on. I was never a big drinker anyway, but I, I couldn't drink. But it was an interesting thing because there was an age dynamic that came into play there. When we met, I was 32. She was 23. And having this sort of invisible disease, I told her that I had rheumatoid arthritis. That's why I wasn't, you know, drinking or, or, or taking part in any of that kind of stuff. And that also like kind of made me go through, oh, my gosh, I went through this like almost 10 years ago. Do I really want to go through like all this kind of stuff again? But it was it was interesting how it affects you like in a social way, whether it's the treatments or whether you're just, you know, dealing with that pain on a regular basis. What, what was that like for you? Like when it, when it came to relationships, were you, were you open with the fact that, Hey, you know, I have this and it affects me. Were there signs that you felt like you had to explain it to friends or maybe to love interests or anything? Yeah. So I actually married young. I was married at 24, basically when I uh, experienced my gala attack. So my then wife was, you know, very understanding. It wasn't the issue with my then wife. 
it was the issue with my bros, my friends. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're hanging out with your boys and your group of friends, they can be harsh, right? They, right. They, in, a, in a loving way, you know, they can be harsh. They called me Gimpy. I remember Gimpy, Gout Boy was another nickname that I had. Yeah. And, you know, trying to keep up with them sometimes on crutches, you know, I would, I got to say, you know, people that suffer with arthritis and, and gout, we can handle pain. Like they don't understand the pain that we go through. So we're hobbling around just trying to do life. But, uh, you know, the sympathy that you get from people within your age group, there's lack of, of I would say lack of empathy, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I, I can relate to that. I know I've shared you know, on blogs and things through the Arthritis Foundation and PS Never Give Up, sharing my journey and the time when we wanted to become parents, that meant getting off a lot of medications for me. And since it took longer than we thought it would, there were noticeable changes to my appearance. And, you know, with my job, it wasn't something that I could hide. And that's, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to be very open with that journey. But, oh my gosh, my friends, when we didn't know what was causing all of the, uh, there was like a lot of water weight gain from all the steroids that I was on trying to like mask everything that was happening to me looked physically different. That's definitely a thing though. Friends, even those closest to you, they can, they can be relentless. They're relentless. They're, they're the ones that are the most harsh on you. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned the medication and the side effects because for 16 years, I was being treated and treated myself with over the counter medication or, I would go to the ER and they would, the only thing they would really give me is steroids or something that would take care of the inflammation, but the side effects were bad. I mean, I am a 5'10", I weigh 175 now, fit, but back then I was 225, mm-hmm. right? And uh, my face is probably twice the size that you see now. And so if you can imagine that my skin was bad because of just the steroid again, everything was just breaking out, everything, like my levels, you know, to be healthy, you need your levels within your body to be where it needs to be. And it felt like every single level in my body was off. And, um, you know, I have pictures of before and after, and it is pretty amazing. You can see darkness before Mm -hmm. in my face, you know, where I just wanted to give up. And I found myself again, you know, now I'm back to that 23 year old kid, you know, happy as can be. (laughs) Yeah, no. And it's funny. I mean, I was just looking at some old pictures of myself too. And it's like when I was getting started, you know, working in TV and stuff and I'm, I'm six feet tall. Well, it's, I mean, I've, I've had my hips and knees replaced. So my height has changed over the years. I was kind of hoping maybe I could get like, you know, the go-go gadget adjustable, maybe if I was picking up a game of basketball <laughs> or something. But um, but it's interesting when you go back and you look, and I, I was the same sort of thing. I went from like 180 to being on the steroids, getting up to 235. Mm-hmm. And then after the knee replacement surgery, dropping down to like 135. And that's kind of like when my wife stepped up and she said, well, listen, you can't weigh less than I do. That's like, that's going to be a problem. It's interesting to look back and like you said, you you kind of rediscover yourself, right? You kind of find who you are when you're going through all these difficult times. How do you think that sort of shaped your outlook and, and who you are today? I've always been a uh, optimistic person. I felt like I lost that person during the 16 years journey trying to get that diagnosed. And when I received the diagnosis, I received hope, you know, 
everybody needs hope. It's really the honest truth. You know, when it comes to gout, so many people that start the journey with gout, they feel like this mountain is such a big mountain to climb. I've been in pain for so long and I've been struggling for so long. I've been feeling isolated for so long. I don't know how I'm going to be able to get out of this. And, you know, um, I was talking to with one of our volunteers within the Gout Support Group of America, and he was saying, Gary, you know, it maybe it took, you know, some people, it took 25 years for them to journey through the woods and they've been lost in the woods. And, you know, it's not overnight that you're going to exit the woods, right? It's going to take a little bit of time. But once you've identified hope or, you know, you get the diagnosis and they tell you you have gout, I have to tell you, there is no better time to have gout than it is now in the period that we live in because gout is treatable. You actually can have a quality of life with gout. There's no cures for gout, but if you understand the disease and you understand what is causing the flares, you can actually tackle this disease and manage it in a way that you can have quality of life. Well, and that's the irony too. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, no better time than now, I know the only other experience in my case with rheumatoid, my grandmother had a sister who had rheumatoid arthritis, but she was diagnosed maybe in the 1940s when they were like, well, here's this amazing breakthrough thing called aspirin. Or they would tell you, well, hey, it hurts when I do this. Well, well, then don't do that. Don't move. And then, of course, you're <laughs> dealing with like fused joints and that sort of thing. But aside from the the treatments and things too, Gary, I mean, as ironic as that sounds, again, coming back to this is the best time to have that diagnosis. I know support is a big part of that. And I know that's what led you to found your support group for other people who are living with gout. How did you initially find other people to relate to and to be able to talk to? Because it can be incredibly isolating, as you said. It's isolating and it's lonely and you feel misunderstood. So in 2015, I was doing some reflection. I was just thinking back on my journey. And at that point, I've been five years pain-free. And I was thinking, wow, this is great. And I had a conversation with my rheumatologist. And I said, hey, Chris, during my journey, before I met you, it was so dark. It was so lonely. Do you remember the look on my face when I came in to meet you? You know, there are so many other people like myself. And... I don't think there's a support system out there, Chris, for people living with gout. And he says, I don't think so. And I, I really looked at it and I said, we need to start a support group. We need to start something. And at the time I was living in Austin, Texas, and I remember him and I, we picked a weekend. I think it was just a Sunday in his office. We bought some coffee. We uh, got some donuts. We put some ads in the newspaper, local newspaper. And I think, um, our first meeting, we had like 10 people. It was basically five wives forcing their husbands to come along. And the husbands, you know, are, are there enjoying the free donut and not really talking. But we were just, you know, we were just talking about gout to make it, you know, we, we just wanted to make, make it accessible to people and say it's okay to have gout. Mm -hmm. That was a start. And from there, we took it online and we called ourselves the Gout Support Group of Austin. So we wanted to focus on Austin and then it kind of grew. And from there, we became the Gout Support Group of America. And so we currently have almost 16,000 members on Facebook. 
And we're really focused on education, empowering people that live with gout through managing methods of uh, managing gout with, uh, you know, that's FDA approved and scientifically based. So we're very specific on what we do. Whenever you need help, the Arthritis Foundation's helpline is here for you. Whether it's about insurance coverage, a provider you need help from, or something else, get in touch with us by phone, toll-free, at 800-283-7800. Or send us a message at arthritis.org slash helpline. When you look back at your younger self, what would you tell yourself, Gary, in, in the years, you know, obviously with age comes wisdom, experience, having lived with gout this long, what would you tell that young man who was going through that really dark time? I would have told them that it's okay, you know, to have gout. Don't look at it as a negative thing. We're all dealt with cards in our life. These are the cards that you're dealt with, Gary. Live with that and find a way to move forward. Secondly, I would say find the courage. If you know deep down you have a gut feeling that this is what's going on, hey, find the courage to ask for a second opinion. You are the only person that will be able to advocate for yourself. No one else will. You have to stand up. I think with those two advice, things would have been very different for me. Yeah. Well, and hopefully, you know, you can have that impact on other people, on young people that are going through something similar with that diagnosis. I have to ask too, how have you been able to manage your gout now? How are you dealing with the pain? Because I know that, I mean, again, as a guy, right, you, you you try to hide these things and maybe, you know, we don't try to be as macho as maybe we used to, right? You know, when I hear the word macho, I think of somebody like Tom Selleck, the big mustache or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, you try to sort of like keep it to yourself. And again, I, I, I know that kind of plays into with, with these being invisible diseases and you're dealing with that pain and stuff. How are you managing right now? I manage my gout fine. It's been 13 years I've been pain-free for the entire time. I will foreseeably be pain-free. I don't foresee having a problem. Uh, mm -hmm. When it comes to gout, it's very scientific in the fact that if you can measure your uric acid level, you can basically determine if you're about to experience a flare or not. So there's no cure for gout. And then gout, like I think you mentioned earlier, gout is you know very secretive. It, gout's like a ninja. It, they sneak up on you. When you think it's not doing anything, it's planning and it's sitting there. It's just waiting for an opportunity to hit. So you don't give gout an opportunity. You do everything you can to lower your uric acid level. The key is to keep it below six. My rheumatologist came up with a great saying. He says, uh, Gary, if it's over six, you need a fix. That's basically it, right? If, if it's over six, you need a fix. And I say, for people living with gout, I would offer hope. I would say, hey, listen, Go find yourself a trustworthy medical professional who can partner with you and journey with you. This is about a journey. You're going to walk with this person. Gout is not going anywhere. Until we find a cure, we're going to wake up every day and say hello to gout. And we're going to say, hello, get behind me. Um, I take my medication religiously every morning and I continue with life. 
Oh, I love that. And, you know, again, spreading that message of hope. And I know that that's something that you know, the Arthritis Foundation likes to do too. I know that I've sort of met a community in particular, since we're talking about men with arthritis, other guys who are going through that same thing, how it affects our day-to-day life. I know with me, even though, you know, symptoms are, are treatable, like you said, I know that it's something that I will live with for the rest of my life and varying degrees of pain and ability. And I know that's one thing that could be tricky is not knowing when you're going to experience it the most. I know if I have like a hard day, like doing dad stuff around the house, um, we have three kids, nine, six, and five. So it's like trying to, you know, keep up with them. You'll notice different things. As a matter of fact, I, I one thing I think is interesting too, when you factor in like guys who who might be fathers, one of the first things, and maybe it's just because I've been open with my journey about it. Uh, But the other day we were somewhere and my son, who's five, when he was introducing me to some of his friends at a soccer game the other day, he's like, yeah, this is my dad. He has arthritis. And (laughs) it's it's, it's one of those things where, you know, they're aware they could see like some of the, the physical changes that I have. And I try not to exhibit like all the limitations that might exist. You know, I want them to know it's okay. We could play, we can, we can do all these different Mm -hmm. things. How has been living with gout and what have you heard from some of the other guys in your support group, how it's affected them as a father? You know, the interesting thing, Pete, is that I've noticed for guys, we have a hesitancy to be known as pill poppers or people that are dependent on medication. Yet uh, we'll grab a beer and we don't see that as a source of medication or you know, sometimes when we get a headache, it's fine. We'll take the aspirin. But for some odd reason, when it comes to maybe allopurinol or euloric or these maintenance medications that have very low side effects, we don't want to be known as someone that is dependent on daily medication, which mm-hmm. is a strange thing. So that's something that we've tried to overcome within our GAP Support Group of America. Men don't want to give up their man card. And they think by being needy when it comes to medicine, I need medicine to live my life. That's that's being a wimp. And honestly, that's just education. And nothing can be further from the truth. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you think about the fact that, too, you know, silently, so many men who are dealing with pain alone on a daily basis there's nothing non-man card about that. I mean, I, I think it's you know pretty badass if we're able to soldier on every day living with some kind of pain. If you have arthritis or are taking care of someone who does, we've got information you can trust. Get tips on healthy treatments, plus news and inspirational stories. Learn all about arthritis and the resources we offer. Go to arthritis.org. We knew that we were going to be doing this episode and pose the question online, asking people about their biggest mental, emotional, or social obstacles that they've had to deal with living with arthritis. A couple of the responses we got, I wanted to share. There was somebody that has the handle JIA Wanter who said, not knowing what happened next, the unpredictability factor and hiding the physical and emotional fear that comes with it is one of the most difficult things they've dealt with. And another one of our followers, Bionic R. Ray, said, admitting that I need help. 
And a third comment that we got, Gary, that this sort of plays into what you were just saying there from A. Brewington, that balance between it being okay to be in pain and not, quote, manly to talk about or share my pain for fear of being labeled less than a man. I mean, it's got to be rewarding for you to have sort of like this created this safe group for guys in particular to talk with other guys about these symptoms and know that they're not being judged for it because that's really is difficult for a lot of guys. It's a huge factor. You know, men don't want to be seen as weak, right? We're the ones with, I don't know, the club, you know, and we're meant to go out there and look for food and to, you know, supply and, and look after a family. Um, we don't want to be needy. We don't want to seem like we need help. But in fact, you know, one of the first steps to freedom really is admitting that we have this disease, right? That was so freeing. When I accepted that I have gout, it was freeing. Now it's like, okay, I have gout. What does this mean? And what do I need to do? Because gout and I can get along. There is a way because my rheumatologist says, I can have quality of life and I can have a pain-free life. And I believe him. So I believe him. I have trust in my rheumatologist. What is it going to mean for me? And for me, it meant being open to trustworthy advice from my uh, medical partner, professional, and following his instructions and being patient because it does take time to find yourself out of the woods, right? Yeah. Well, I know often on the podcast, Gary, we like to talk about three big takeaways uh, that we come from in our conversation. What would you say your three takeaways are from this episode? That's a great question. I would say the first takeaway is that uh, when it comes to gout, it's not your fault, period. Full stop. That's it. It's not your fault. It's not because you're eating too much meat. It's not because you're drinking too much. Maybe. I mean, if you're drinking a case a night, maybe, but it's probably not the cause of your gout, right? So it's not your fault. It could be genetics. It it could be a number of things. So get that out of your head. Secondly, if you're feeling alone and isolated, you're not alone. There are 9 million of us in America Go find us, the Gout Support Group of America. You can find us. on. We have a website. We're also online, right, on Facebook. If you find us, um, just answer the three questions, and then we will accept you into the, uh, the support group, and you'll meet wonderful people that have journeyed with gout for many years, and there's many people that have just started the journey. So people are always wanting to give back, right? And help one another journey through this disease. And lastly, and I mentioned this before, if it's over six, you need a fix. So understand where your uric acid level is. Go ask for your doctor to look at your uric acid level because a general blood test does not include uric acid. You have to specifically ask for that uric acid to be checked. So if it's over six, you need a fix. I love that. I, I, I think I would agree too. If I, if I had to think of three things that I really took away from this that I would want our listeners to take away from, number one is being proactive, uh, making sure yes. that you are taking control. And as you mentioned earlier, 
owning your own health journey, making sure that if you notice that something isn't quite right, not being afraid to talk to a primary care physician, but then also to seek out maybe a specialist, a rheumatologist, someone that can help you in that journey. The second thing is, as you mentioned, also knowing that there are other people out there who are going through something similar that you're not alone in this journey. I know that any sort of chronic illness like this that you're dealing with, that can seem like an invisible disease, it can feel very isolating, but it doesn't have to be. Knowing that there are support groups out there like the Gout Support Group of America, like the Arthritis Foundation, the local chapters, national groups, getting involved and in, in getting to know some of these other people who are going through something similar, I know has been a huge relief for me being able to talk to other people. And I guess the third takeaway is just, uh, you know, knowing that you don't have to feel like you're invincible all the time. It's okay to own that sense of, you know, there's something that's not quite right here. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you insufferable. And you're not a burden to someone. That's I think right. it's something else that's important to take away. Knowing that this is something that there are options out there. They are treatable. And hopefully there's some guys listening to us, Gary, that are going to walk away from this feeling a little empowered, saying, you know what, I'm going to take control of this journey myself and uh, and I'm not going to give up. That that to me is the biggest thing. Uh, obviously, with the, the sign I have above me here in the studio, never giving up is definitely a message Love I want it. people to walk away with. Love it. Thank you, Pete. All right. Well, Gary Ho, thanks again. And where can people find you and interact with you in the Gout Support Group of America? Yeah, again, you can find us at www.goutsupportgroup.org or go to Facebook and look up the Gout Support Group of America and you're going to see us. And all you do is just hit join and we'll let you in. All right. I love it. Gary Ho, thanks. And I'm Pete Scalia here. I want to thank everybody for listening to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. P.S. Never give up. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. This episode was brought to you in part by one of our dedicated partners. Our podcast is also made possible in part by individual supporters like you, whose generosity we much appreciate. The Live Yes with Arthritis podcast is independently produced by the Arthritis Foundation. This podcast aims to help people living with arthritis and chronic pain live their best life. People like you. For a transcript and show notes, go to arthritis.org slash podcast. Subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch.